Hey guys, and welcome to episode 6 of Me, Myself, and Others podcast. I'm your host, Landon, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you for a bit. Alright, I'd like to start out with some really cool news uh, that, honestly, I was not expecting. Um, so, so far, you know, obviously this is episode 6, we've recorded 5 uh, episodes, and the website that I use to publish each episode, it'll give you analytics on your episodes as individuals and as a, as a, as a whole. And, uh, I was looking on that website and it was telling me my total amount of like listens for collectively, uh, as we've been going. And so far as of five episodes, we've hit over 150 total plays. Um, and that's, you know, collectively, um, and that's super cool. I was, I'm not, I, you know, when I made this, I didn't expect anybody to care or want to listen to it. Um, I'm sure a few people would, you know, be interested, but never in my wildest dreams did I imagine that, uh, you know, 150, this, this podcast would be played, uh, over 150 times, especially in five episodes. So I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you guys for, uh, humoring me, uh, and, uh, and enjoying the podcast and letting me know I'm having a lot of fun making it. Um, also, some news as far as the podcast goes. Um, I'm in the process of uploading each episode to YouTube. Um, not There won't be videos attached to them. It's just the audio. But what I've found is a lot of people have questions about how they can listen to the podcast. And I understand that you know not everybody listens to podcasts on a regular basis. Um so I wanted to make it as accessible as possible. So as of right now, the podcast is available on Spotify to listen to, on the Apple Music Podcast app, and now YouTube. Um, so you can check it out there if you want to. Uh, right. Uh, in more me news, um, I finished the book recently. And of course, if you're around me and I've finished the book... I'm more than likely going to try to find a way to bring it up uh, because it's very rare, especially here recently, that I'm able to sit down and actually, you know, finish a book, have the attention span to do it Um, ever since, I'd say ever since my junior year of college, I've had a problem with that because I would just get so busy with school mainly that the last thing I would want to do is sit down and read a book. Um... And then my first year of teaching came about, and it was even less frequent. You know, I'd rather do something that doesn't require me to think, like uh, watch a movie or something. But I finished the book, and it is called Educated, and it's a book by Tara Westover. It's actually a memoir by Tara Westover. Um, And I'll just sort of give you a a brief summary or what it's about. Um, This girl, uh, she grew up. In a Mormon household, very devout Mormon household, where they were completely cut off from society, pretty much. And, you know, parents didn't send their kids to school. And they were really just by themselves on a mountain in Idaho. And it really talks about her childhood on up to when she inevitably goes to college for the first time. Her first time stepping into a classroom. And, you know, what she takes away from the entire experience and how her family is affected by her decisions. Um, I can, the best 
thing I can say about this book, in my opinion, is that I was never bored reading it. Um, you know, I was hooked in from the start, and I really enjoyed every second of it. Um, so if you uh, are looking for a memoir to read, I highly recommend that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, also, um, I found a new podcast to listen to. Um, and it's it's not really new to me, um, but the content is new, I should say. So these two guys, Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott, they had a podcast about the band U2, and they called the podcast Are You Talking... Or it's called You Talking U2 to Me. That was the name of the podcast. And they just sort of went album by album of the band and because they were both fans of them for a long time. And... I was never really a, I, I didn't really listen to any of U2's music. The only experience I had with U2 was, I remember when I was in middle school and everybody, you know, all my friends, we all had iPod touches. That was the big thing before the iPhone. And I've, I distinctly remember that, I guess they had uh, created some sort of deal with Apple, the band U2, um, and one of their albums just came preloaded on your iPod Touch one day. Like, you didn't download it. It just popped up. Um, But I never really listened to it. And so uh, these two guys are fans of the band, and and they're both, like, comedians, and they just sort of went album by album covering the band and their history with the band and things like that. Uh, And so this was recorded, I'd say, like, four years ago. And... I was I sort of came to it late. It was only like a couple of years ago that I discovered that podcast, so I was I was late to the party a bit. And so uh, as I was going through their coverage of U2, they started another podcast about the band REM. And so again, I was late because I was still trying to catch up on U2, but they were already covering REM. So I still kind of felt like I was behind on things. Um, but eventually, they moved on from REM to now they're talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they just released episode one like a week ago. And so I'm excited to actually be along for the ride on this one. Uh, they've, they've changed the name to Are You Talking RHCP Reme? Um, and again, it's Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. If you don't know, Adam Scott is from, or one of the, he's from a lot of things, but the biggest thing I know him from is uh, Parks and Recreation. He plays Ben on that show. And so that's where I discovered him and it led me to discovering Scott Ackerman and a whole string of um, podcasts that I really enjoy. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm often not used to talking this much, and so I find when I sit down and record one of these things, I run out of breath really easily. So I just need to catch my breath real quick. Deep breaths. All right. In other music news, music that I enjoy, uh, there's an artist named Joji, J-O-J-I, and uh, his, I'd say his most well-known album, at least in my eyes, is the one that he most recently released, which is called Ballads. Um, There are some really good songs on there, uh, in particular Slow Dancing in the Dark. If you've never heard of Joji, I, I advise you to look up that song. Slow Dancing in the Dark by him. It's a great one. And an interesting thing about Joji real quick is, um, you know, me and my wife, we obviously have 
different taste in music, and then sometimes our music tastes overlap, but it doesn't happen all the time. And this was a rare occasion where I showed her an artist, a newer one, that I was listening to, and she was able to enjoy it as well on the same level. And so, uh, you know, Joji uh, has a special place in my heart for that very reason. It's, it's one that we can both enjoy, me and, me and Macy. Um, but he's got a new album coming out. It's called Nectar. And he's, uh, he's been releasing some singles off of the album. But uh, it recently, the, the release had to be pushed back because I think the original date was for July 10th. But because of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening right now, he didn't feel comfortable releasing the album just yet. So it's been moved back to September 25th. So I'm highly anticipating that album. I cannot wait to listen to it. I'm a big fan of his. And that's Joji. J-O-J-I. If you don't know, he used to be a YouTuber. Um, and I didn't really discover this until later. But uh, he had a YouTube channel known as uh, Filthy Frank. And uh, what's funny is people are sort of... Fans of his who didn't know about that are discovering it. Or, have you know, and this is a, a few weeks or maybe even a few months old. They, they discovered that a little later. And so uh, he was known on his YouTube channel for... You know, doing things that were, I guess you wouldn't, you wouldn't label them as PC, um, but you know he was one of the OG YouTubers who really paved paved the way for a lot of comedy on YouTube that I enjoy. But people were trying to cancel him for because they they didn't realize that he was the same person. Um, but uh, obviously, that didn't work. I, I can't stand that whole the whole cancel culture that's been going on for so long I understand it in some regards like when you've you've got comedians like Louis C.K. who who went down who I was a fan of until you know the news came out about him like issues where there's obvious abuse going on I could totally understand where somebody needs to be that needs to be addressed but I feel like people are just like nitpicking nitpicking every little thing to try to get somebody canceled and it's really annoying, and it really just makes all, all of us look very sensitive. And, um, yeah, we look weak, in my opinion, because of uh, a lot of the things we make a big deal about. Of, I think we'd be all be a lot happier if we uh, didn't take things so seriously. Anyway, sorry if I'm breathing so heavily. Um, some other music that I've been listening to recently, some, some newer music to me, uh, if you both of these artists that I'm going to say are country artists, so if you're a fan of country or there, it's not like country like Luke Bryan or I don't even know some of the other ones, Luke Combs. Those those people I don't I don't tend to lean towards because it just feels like disingenuous sometimes. Not so much Luke Luke Combs. I think he's I can tolerate him a little bit better. I don't mean to sound like a snob, but I really enjoy country artists who can like tell a story or sing a song that sounds very like I, like I, I can tell that it means a lot to them what they're singing, like I believe them. But then there's a lot of country that doesn't sound like that, especially today. I feel like today it's just a bunch of stadium country music. It's just supposed to appeal to a larger demographic so they talk about very general things 
and it doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem like it's coming from the heart. It just feels like a money-making machine. And, you know, me being from Georgia, from the South, I sort of feel like a lot of those songs, they, they just, it makes us seem... I don't want to say it makes us seem like seem dumb because we listen to it, but a lot of the things that they talk about, they don't really make us. They don't really paint a, a good picture of Southerners, in my opinion. Like just the the partying type music, and, and some of it's okay, but you know, a lot of it I don't really listen to. But these two artists I do listen to here recently, and I enjoyed them. Uh, the first one, his name is Charlie Crockett. Charlie Crockett, and I was doing some more research on him, and according to Wikipedia, he's a blues country Americana musician, and he's from Texas, and I really like his voice, um, not just his singing voice, but like, he has a certain dialect that I really like, I thought he was from like New, uh, New Orleans, like Louisiana, because uh, his dialect, the way he talks... It kind of reminds me about of the uh, that Firefly from Princess and the Frog. I think his name was Ray. He doesn't sound so Louisiana as that, but he's got a certain twang that I really like that sounds really cool. Um, but I really, I've really been digging into a lot of his stuff, and I've, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of it. Um, so Charlie Crockett, that's one person I've been listening to recently. And another one is Yola. Y-O-L-A, Yola. And I was looking on uh, online about her as well, and she was classified as a country soul musician. And uh, I didn't realize this from her music, but she is actually from England. Um, and so I'm definitely interested just, just by that, being a country singer from England. Uh, but the biggest thing I've been listening to from her is her recent album or uh, from 2019, called Walk Through Fire, and uh, a little bit about how I came to um, discover her. Um, she records for the record label uh, Easy Eye Sound, and this is a record label that was actually started by one of the members of the Black Keys, who I've talked about. Um, I didn't realize that he started his own record label, so I was sort of digging into some of the artists that they've signed, and I found Yola, and... Um, so I'm obviously a fan of the Black Keys, so I was uh, interested to hear about these artists, and there's a handful of others who I'm going to be researching as well. So Yola and Charlie Crockett are sort of my musical recommendations for you if you're a fan of country music and want to branch out a little bit. Um, so that that's really it as far as music goes. Um, I was on Twitter a few days ago, and I saw that... I saw a preview for a new movie coming out starring Shia LaBeouf. And I'm pretty sure the, you know, the preview's on YouTube. I'm sure you could look it up. But the movie's called The Tax Collector. And from what I could sum up from the preview, it looks like Shia LaBeouf is, is playing some sort of uh, drug lord. Or not maybe not a drug lord, like somebody who... Uh, excuse me, sorry. Someone who, like has to collect the money from the drug lords and things like that. And it got me really excited because if you know, if you've seen a Shia LaBeouf movie, some of his more recent ones, he really commits to the role. And um, he's obviously a little crazy. And I feel like 
all actors who are very good are a little bit crazy. But Shia LaBeouf is in his own league. Uh, uh, apparently, according to this article, he actually tattooed his entire chest for this role. Um, now, I'm sure they could have done that on set for him, but that doesn't seem like it would be enough for him. So, he decided to tattoo his enchi- entire chest just for this movie. Um, so, that was definitely interesting to read about and... Honestly, I wasn't surprised by hearing that. Um, But I love Shia LaBeouf. I love watching his movies. And I'm excited about this one. Definitely, it looks like it's going to be a real gritty movie. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, So what have I been doing lately? Uh, Besides nothing. um, Like what a lot of us are doing right now. I've just, you know, been trying to get ready for this upcoming school year. You know, I have no idea what it's going to look like. You know, we've got we've been getting bits and pieces of information, but to be honest, it's anybody's guess. Um, and, you know, I'm just glad that it's not my first year. You know, I still feel like it's my first year, but technically, obviously, it's not. It's my second year of teaching. But, uh, you know, my heart goes out to those teachers who are starting for the first time this year um i know a a million things are probably running through your head nervous you don't really know what to prepare for um and i'm right along there with you and so is every other teacher we're all experiencing this pandemic for the first time nobody we've never nobody's ever gone through anything like this so nobody can really give us advice on it which is you know kind of scary but also you know we'll be learning and making mistakes together and that brings me comfort, knowing that. Um, but yeah, I guess one word of advice. Uh, if, if you were a new teacher, um, doing all this, having your own classroom for the first time. Uh, one thing that I did in preparation for my first year that I wish I didn't. I spent way too much time worrying about what my classroom was going to look like. Now, clearly that's an important part of teaching you need to have an effective efficient classroom but I think I was thinking too much about how it looked like decorations things like that and at the end of the day that stuff is not as important as you know having a good plan of what your classroom layout is going to look like don't focus so much on decorations or a theme for your classroom Um, it's much more important to Uh, think about how your classroom is going to be run you know Um, so that's that's one piece of advice is is to um, you know don't worry about so much about theme another piece of advice and these are just sort of popping in my head as I'm speaking um, one thing that I had a tendency to do and I think it's really because this is my personality so you know you may not have this this type of personality but um, when things get really tough for me, challenging, whether it's school or work in this case, um, I have a tendency to really want to shut myself in and try to figure it out on my own and not ask for help. And any teacher that you run into uh, your first year will tell you that that's not the way to handle your problems. 
um, you absolutely need to be okay with asking for help because you will need help. I needed help plenty of times and there were times where I didn't ask for it and it's just not the way to go. You need to ask for help um, because you 100% need help. Um, it's a difficult job to do uh, and your mind can be in a million places at one time And but you need to be able to have somebody either in your grade level or your on your team or whatever who you can go to with help or to just talk to and that's something that I want to be better at this coming year because you know I don't I, I think I just did too much shutting myself in and trying to handle my problems for myself when I really should have been um, building better relationships with my coworkers, and so that's a, that's a challenge that I've set for myself this coming years to is to uh, really work on my relationships with my coworkers because uh, I want to be better and I want our relationships to be better because that'll that'll make me a better teacher 100 uh, percent so that's my little school ramp for today um, but yeah my heart goes out to um, those first year teachers especially because um, I definitely know what you're going through because I'm still still going through it and I found this book that I'm, I, my mom got me a bunch of books for my first year of teaching, and some of them are more content driven, and some of them are just more about teaching and, and ma- making yourself a better teacher. Um, and one of them was like a, a field guide. Let me see if I can look up what it's called. Okay. Uh, right here. The author's name is Tina Bugrin, B-O-O-G-R-N, and the book is called The Beginning Teacher's Field Guide, Embarking on Your First Year, parentheses, Self-Care and Teaching Tips for New Teachers. Um, I started this book uh, before my first year and, you know, got bogged down with other things, so I never really finished it. Um, but it really did help me sort of, it gives you things to think about that you really don't even consider thinking about. And it really, it breaks down that first year of teaching into five or six phases that you'll go, you'll go through, like the, the anticipation phase, the survival phase, the disillusionment, disillusionment phase, and so on. So it'll break down some things you'll be feeling. She stare, she shares some of her own personal feelings or her own personal stories from her first year. But it, it, it really breaks it down in a way that I enjoyed. And so for this upcoming year, I'm, gonna, I'm rereading it and really hoping to finish it by the first day so I'll have a better idea. And I imagine it won't be the last time I read through this book. Um, but uh, yeah, it also provides some tips for self-care because it's very very important to take care of yourself your mental health is very important you you're not you're not going to be effective as a teacher you're not going to be meaningful with your students if your mental health is not where it needs to be Um, so yeah that's my reading advice for you first year teachers or you know just early year teachers um I think that's a a great, a great, great book to read to help you out with that.
All right. So last thing before we get into the bulk of this episode, um, I've, I've been sort of reflecting on this podcast and I, I asked myself, like, what do I like doing or what do I like about having my own podcast? And I really broke it down into three words. Uh, I like it because it's fun to do. Um, it lets me be creative and it's free. And that's that's a huge thing. It's absolutely free to create your own podcast and distribute it. Um, and, you know, some other positives about having this podcast, you know, if you're interested in starting something or if you're just interested in doing something creative and you're you're worried about what people will think or or whatever, because there there were plenty of times when I was making this where I decided just to I almost decided to shut it down because I was afraid of what people might think. Um, but you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't care what people think, especially if you're being creative. So, um, but other ways that this podcast has helped me, uh, like I sort of hinted at earlier, I'm an extremely introverted, introverted person. If you ask Macy, I'm, you know, I'm, I can be awkward in social situations and there can be times where I just don't participate because, you know, I, in my mind, I'm not being awkward or quiet. I just am choosing not to participate. But uh, this, having this podcast and, and having a space where I can be creative and share it with others, it's honestly, it's given me a new confidence when I'm interacting with other people in my everyday life. Um, I, I'm finding myself being more open, being more friendly, being more, you know, funnier in my interactions with other people. And um, to be honest, I didn't think I could ever really get there. Um, but having this, having this little podcast has given me a confidence to do that. So, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, and also it's, it's opened up a platform where I can, uh, connect with old friends and, you know, make some new friendships. Uh, you know, I'm surprised by this, but there's, there've been a handful of people who have, reached out to me who have, you know, let me know that they enjoy the podcast and have asked me questions about it. And to be honest, I didn't imagine that that would happen. Um, but that, that's a really cool feeling. And so, you know, my little encourager to you would be, uh, if you're, if you're contemplating doing something like this, maybe not a podcast, but what, you know, making a YouTube channel or whatever, um, I would encourage you to do it because, we can all afford to be more creative and, and have more opportunities to do, to do that. You, you discover new things about yourself. So uh, I say go for it. It's a lot of fun. All right, so that's enough for the opening segment of the show. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about some shark movies. I like sharks. I am not afraid to admit it. I wouldn't want to meet one. I wouldn't even want to go near one. But I do like them. I like learning about them, seeing videos about them, and seeing movies about them. Now, what's the first thing that pops into your head when I say the word, or words, shark movie? If you're human, it should be the word, Jaws. 
clearly Jaws is the best movie ever made about a shark. Not talking about the sequels. I'm talking about the original Jaws. Um, it's funny because growing up, uh, I was terrified of this movie. Um, I wouldn't even go near it. But my brother loved watching this movie, even at a young age. And I've got a nephew who I think loves this movie too. And, uh, hold on, Alexa just lit up. Oh, never mind. Um, but I, I wouldn't even go near it as a kid. But when I grew up and, uh, you know, grew some hair on my chest, I finally confronted the movie and found that I really enjoyed it. So, obviously, shark, when it comes to shark movies, you got to talk about Jaws. Um, but, believe it or not, there have been shark movies made since Jaws. And that's what I'd rather talk about today. So one of my favorite things to do is to uh, rank things, put them in the order that I prefer them. So from in, in order from my the ones I like the most to something that I like the least. Uh, I do this a lot with music and things like that. Nobody asked me to do it, obviously, but it's just something that I like to do. And you gotta you gotta do things you like to do, even if nobody asks you to. So what I want to do today is I've got three movies that are all about sharks and I want to put them in order from the ones I enjoyed the most to the ones I enjoyed the least. Now, before we move any further, let me say that clearly I am no movie expert and I am no shark expert either. Um, I know nothing about making movies and I know very little about sharks. But I can react to these movies based on, you know, how they grabbed me. You know, did they have my attention the entire time? Were they enjoyable to watch? I can talk about that. Um, and that's what I plan to do. So, I've selected three movies. Now, all three of these movies have one thing in common. And I was able to stream them. That's what they have in common. I was able to stream them. Um... I actually, believe it or not, I don't think we own the movie Jaws. And even if we did, I wouldn't put it in this category because, to me, it's the perfect uh, shark movie. And so I'm going to more use that as my criteria for this, for these movies as in, you know, when ranking them. Um, but I did find three shark movies. And I basically went on to, like, Netflix, Hulu, Prime Video, and typed in the word shark in the search bar and just saw what popped up. Um, originally, there were four but there's a movie called Shark Lake uh, that was on Prime Video that by the time I got done with these, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to watch another shark movie right now. So uh, maybe we'll watch that one later, but it's not going to be in this, in this uh, ranking. Uh, the movies I did select and watch were uh, Shark Night. Let me say that again. Shark Night on Netflix. A movie called 47 Meters Down, which was also on Netflix. It's also the only one from this list that I had already seen. And a movie called The Reef, which I found on Prime Video. Um, so, I'm going to put those in order based on um, how much I enjoyed them. Uh, so, if you have a favorite shark movie that's not in this list, let me know and I'll watch it. S Before I move any further, though, I want to talk about my criteria for a decent shark movie. In my opinion, good shark movies have realistic shark encounters. Okay, I don't want a shark that's flying at me from a tornado that's whirling at 
100 miles an hour um, because that's probably not going to happen to me in my real life. But when I go to the beach, you know, I obviously I respect that I'm in the shark's home. I don't go out very far, but I like to think that, you know, when I'm watching these movies that I could be in the same scenario that, that, that this person is in. So I like realistic shark encounters. And just like when it comes to my scary movies, I don't want to see the entire shark so quick. You know, I don't have to see how big the shark really is. One thing that I love about Jaws is that you really don't see the full shark until the very end. And if you ask me, they probably showed a little bit too much of the shark in Jaws, but it was more, I got more scared at seeing what the shark could do. Like in that iconic scene where those those guys are fishing to try to catch the shark and earn the prize money, and they throw that like full ham into the water, and of course the shark comes and uh, takes it and actually rips the pier out from from under them, and one of the guys falls into the water, and then you slowly see that pier turn around. You don't see the shark, you just see what the shark is able to do. It's able to drag this pier behind him, and it starts to go after that one guy. That was a very intense scene. Um, so I like seeing what the sharks can do without seeing the full shark, because once you show me the full shark, I may not be as scared the next time you show me him. Um, and third, uh, the characters in the movie are just as important as the shark. You know, the, the movie Jaws had excellent characters and I cared about them and I wanted them to survive. Um, I want the same thing in these shark movies. I want to care about the characters. Um, so yeah, that's sort of when I was watching these movies, I made this list prior. I sort of, I was thinking about these things the entire time. All right. So let's get into the list. Coming in at the bottom is the movie Shark Night. It was filmed in 2011. I'll give you a quick synopsis. A weekend. I'll try to read it in like a scary voice since I guess it's supposed to be a scary movie. A weekend at a lake house in the Louisiana Gulf turns into a nightmare for seven vacationers as they are subjected to shark attacks. Which is, I guess, an okay synopsis. I got this from, what is it, IMDB. Um, you know, not a lot of effort put into that synopsis. Um, I expect shark attacks if you're making a shark movie, so that's not really telling me anything. Anyway, shot in 2011, but honestly, this feels like it's from, like, 2004, early 2000s. Um, it, it actually... Have you ever been into Hollister? Like, a, a shop that I... Uh, a clothing store that I spent many a time in while I was in middle school. Um, this this movie feels like the the screens that you would see in Hollister that are just like f- shots from a beach. Like it felt like they were filming a music video in some of these transitions and they just sort of clumped it all together into a shark movie. Um, because at sometimes when they're transitioning from one location to the next, they'll like show a character walking or something and they'll just like speed up the, their movement and have music playing in the background. Uh, I mean, I felt like I was watching. What was that one show with uh, what's her face? They're at, they're at like a boarding school. Oh, I gotta look it up now because this is this is a Nickelodeon. I think what it was show Nickelodeon show kids school. Just typing in keywords, see if it'll come up. was it called it was like they were at a college but there they weren't 
I'm sure some of you already know the answer to it, and you're probably screaming to yourself. That's it. Zoe 101 was what I'm thinking of. It made me think of that in some weird way. Like, the transitions made me think of that. Anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. Um, you're probably concerned that it took me that long to think of that show. Um, but I'm thinking about sharks right now. Anyway, so, uh, honestly, this movie could have been like a funny parody of a shark movie, and it would have been great. But I've, I feel like they were trying to make it serious. Um, the characters in this movie, we'll start there. Um, in the beginning, I was like, okay, the, you know, they're likable or whatever, but it, it really is like they took seven American Eagle models and just put them in a movie together and, and hoped that they could survive just based off their looks. Um, turns out they, they need to be able to act a little bit too, which I, you know, I didn't see a lot of great acting in this movie, but again, I know nothing about acting, so I'm sure they did the best job that they could. Um, but yeah, so they go to this lake house and they're in like a saltwater lake. And so, you know, I don't, again, I don't know a lot about sharks, um, but I assume since it's a saltwater lake that, you know, this could happen, that sharks could end up in this water. And when they see the sharks, they keep saying, they keep saying that, uh, sorry, I had the mic pointed a different way. When they see the sharks, they, the, the people keep saying, oh, I guess like a hurricane washed them over. So, you know, that's enough reason for me to believe that there could be sharks in a lake. And so now I'll never get on a lake again. But um, the sharks in this movie, they're very CGI and it's very noticeable and they show a lot of the sharks. So by the end, I wasn't really scared of them anymore. Um, there's this one scene where this guy's he's riding a, oh, what's a jet ski? What's like the water? I think it's called a jet ski. Uh, but uh, or a wave runner, I think is what it's called. I don't know. I don't know what anything's called. But uh, he's, he's riding it because they're, they're trying to go get help. And there's this scene where the shark pops out of the water right in front of him. And it, it flies through the air and then just bites him and knocks him off and just takes him in the water and kills him. Uh, so I was like, I don't know about that. It was funny to look at because, you know, you're just thinking, oh, that looks so dumb. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of unrealistic shark encounters in this movie, which, you know, automatically puts it at the bottom of the list for me. But if that weren't weren't enough, uh, there are bad guys in this movie who are sort of controlling these sharks. Um, so the bad guys, their motivation is they they've released these sharks into the lake. Apparently, I don't. It doesn't explain how they caught them, how they ended, how they actually put them in the lake. But it just says that they they put them in the lake or whatever, and they've attached cameras to the sharks. Um, Hold on, I, I gotta I gotta mention this because the the way that they discover that there are cameras on the shark, the the seven vacationers who were being attacked the entire time, is uh, this one guy gets his arm taken off by a shark, and then that same shark I think is the ends up like attacking and killing his girlfriend, and so when he finally comes to and realizes what's happened, he's he's determined that he's gonna go out there and kill one of these sharks. So you literally watch him just walk into the water with one arm and he's holding this spear and he's literally like taunting a shark to come attack him so that he can like defeat him. And that's a scene that actually happens. So there's this hammerhead shark that comes up to him and starts attacking him and a friend of his sees that he's in trouble and they, they work together and end up killing the shark. 
And so they bring it ashore, and that, that's how they discover that there are cameras on these sharks. And so they're a little suspicious. But anyway, the bad guys, their whole plan is that they want to record shark attacks, I guess from the point of view of the shark itself. They want to record shark attacks and sell the footage to the people that make Shark Week. I'm going to say that again. They're filming shark attacks from cameras that are attached to sharks. And their plan is they're going to profit off the selling of the video to the people that make Shark Week. Now, okay, this was filmed in 2011, so I'm sure Shark Week was bigger at that point. I can't really remember when I stopped caring about Shark Week, but I know it's been a long time since I've watched it. I think the Megalodon series was the last time that I really tuned in. Um, But I'm not always itching to watch Shark Week, I guess. If it's on and I'm watching TV, which is rare, then I will watch it. But they act like it's the Super Bowl that so many people tune in every year to watch Shark Week. And so their plan is to sell the footage that they are making uh, and earn a profit. And so uh, I wonder if the if the people at Shark Week would even... I mean, wouldn't you be able to tell that the somebody strapped a camera to a shark? So I'd be a little suspicious there. I'd, how did you obtain this footage? How did you attach a camera to a shark? Um, I wonder if the pe- people at Shark Week would even purchase. It seems um, unethical. And uh, there's no way you can telefi- televise these shark attacks. Um, but yeah, so... All of that came together and, and made a pretty bad shark movie, in my opinion. Uh, it was entertaining at some points because it was kind of funny. Like I said, it could have been a parody. Uh, but I think they were trying to make a serious attempt at a shark movie. And, uh, yeah. I just don't think that that's the route to go. Um, so, yeah. Shark Night, bottom of the list. I'm not going to go into... I'm trying not to go into huge details about each of these movies because I don't want this episode to be so long. Um, but I have to talk about some of the things. Um, so next on the list, and it's actually going to be the middle of our list, is the movie 47 Meters Down. Like I said, not my first time viewing this. I think I even saw it in theaters, which is rare because I'm, I rarely go see movies in theaters now. But uh, I think I did see this one in theaters. And a quick synopsis of this one. Two sisters are vacationing in Mexico. Or, sorry, i got to read my scary voice. <clears throat> Two sisters vacationing in Mexico are trapped in a shark cage at the bottom of the ocean. With less than an hour of oxygen left and great shark excuse me, and great white sharks circling nearby, they must fight to survive. Uh so yeah. Uh one thing I liked about this movie is that the sharks, unlike Shark Knight, they looked pretty realistic. Um and, you know, I could tell that they were CGI, but still, they looked believable, and I liked it. Um, and I feel like they took advantage of how dark the ocean is in this movie and made it to where, you know, you didn't really see a shark until it was too close. Like, they couldn't react to it because the shark was too close, but you can't see it coming because of how dark the ocean is. So I, I really like that uh, about this movie. Um one thing I did not like is that they did show a lot of sharks in the movie. Uh, a lot of shots where you see the entire shark. And so by the end of it, you know, I was kind of taken out of it. Um, 
But one of my greatest fears were, you know, really in this movie, and that's being sort of stranded in the open ocean, and you can't see what's around you. Um, the next movie that I'll talk about did that in a better way, but, you know, I was definitely uncomfortable watching this because of the situation that they were in. I was imagining myself in that situation and how much I would hate it. Um, as far as the characters go, though, um, in the beginning, I, I liked them because, you know, it's a girl, she's gone through a breakup, so she's she needs a little bit of a pick-me-up. She's not really the adventurous type. She's on vacation with her friend. Uh, they eventually meet a few guys, and they end up on this shark cage experience. And so I liked it because I was rooting for them. The one girl, you know, she wasn't comfortable doing doing it to begin with. She was a lot like I would be in the situation where even before they got into the shark cage, she was like um, so nervous and saying, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. Uh, I would be the exact same way. Um, I wouldn't have even ended up on the boat, probably. But uh, by the end of it, she got a little too annoying with how much she was complaining. Like, at some point, you just got to suck it up because it's, this is life or death we're talking about. But she was just very vocal about how nervous she was throughout the entire movie. And so I was a little annoyed by the end. But um, this movie did do something cool where... You know, most people that saw this movie probably hated this part, but I actually liked it where you think that they got out or you think that the one girl got out and survived, but it turns out that she's just hallucinating because she's um, had to suck up so much of that oxygen through her tank. Um, so she actually hallucinates, and so she's on the boat finally, and you're like, gosh, she, she actually made it. And then she looks at her hand and the blood that's coming out of her hand. It looks like it's underwater, how it's waving. And then she's back, and you realize that it was just like a hallucination the whole time. I actually liked that part, and I liked. I thought that was a cool original idea. Um, but, you know, 47 meters down, it's a good shark movie. It's okay, but it wasn't the best out of these three, so it comes in at the middle. All right, so this next movie is, in my opinion, from what I've seen... Uh, the best shark movie that you can stream right now, and it is called The Reef. It is from 2010, and here's your synopsis. This one's a little longer. <clears throat> On the beautiful but dangerous waters of Australia's Great Barrier Reef, ship delivery men Luke and four friends chart a yacht to its new owner. Along the way, their ship is torn open by sharp rocks and begins to sink leaving the passengers with a terrifying choice. Stay on board with slim hope of rescue, or swim 12 miles to the nearest island through shark-infested waters. When they enter the water, an unstoppable, relentless great white immediately follows their trail for a white-knuckle chase that will fill the waters with blood. And based on a true story, by the way. I was surprised to learn that. Uh... I actually like that this movie took place in Australia. One, because I like the Australian accent. Um, good eye, might. I really like hearing it. I think it's a good accent. Um, but also, I again, I don't know a lot about sharks. But I, I think Australia has like one of the highest concentrations of shark species. Like They have a lot of sharks in Australia. So right off the bat, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a good movie. There are a lot of sharks. Um, 
And so, you know, you heard it in that synopsis, but their boat tips over. And it's still afloat, but obviously it's not going going anywhere. It's flipped over on its, uh, flipped completely over. And so they're all sitting on the top of it now, or on the bottom of it, and they they have to make a decision if whether or not they're gonna that you know they can't see any land around them. They just know where north is, and so they know they have to swim that way. And one of the guys is like, obviously knows the water very well, but he uh, he assumes it's like twelve miles away. And I actually did some research. Uh, it takes like the it it takes the average person like forty minutes to swim a mile. And so this is a very long swim that they're having to, to to do. And so they have to decide though whether they want to try to wait it out on the boat, where you know it's sinking little by little, and they you know at the at the hopes that somebody will see them and rescue them, or swim the twelve miles in shark infested waters. Excuse me. And so it's like it's two it's two couples, so four people, and then the guy who's like in charge of the charter. So the four people decide they want to swim, but the charter guy, he's like, no, I know what's out in those waters and I'm not doing it. And it made me think what I would do in that situation. It would take a lot of courage to sw- to decide to swim that 12 miles. Um, and I know, I know I would have to like really get over that mental herder, hurdle of thinking about all the sharks that could be in the water. But I feel like if I were the only one wanting to stay on the boat, I'd be like, okay, no way, I'm going. I'm not going to be the only one on the boat. Um, so I don't know why, but he decided to stay. And so the four of them, they they found some, like a boogie board, and they split it in half to, so two people, or like two people could use that. Another guy's got like a, a pair of goggles. and But, you know, they don't have, I mean, they're going to be swimming the entire time. And so that's... I know that would be very tough. Um, but some of my worst fears were brought to life in this movie. Being stranded in the open ocean, check. Being stranded in the open ocean at night, check, because there is a part in this movie where they're having to swim at night. And encountering a shark in the open ocean. So, three of my biggest fears in this movie, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Um and there are there are plenty of camera shots in this movie where the shark is shown but i honestly feel like the film crew actually got live footage of a shark because when they showed the shark in the water swimming by itself it looked real and i don't think the cgi technology in 2010 could have created this so i think when it came to the shark actually attacking the people which you never saw firsthand and that's another thing i liked you saw it from the top of the water so you you didn't see the shark actually biting them, but you saw them get like getting like dragged underwater, and I thought that was very cool and very eerie to see. Again, you don't want to see the shark; you want to see what the shark can do. I think that makes it a lot scarier. Um, so that's something that I feel like this movie did a great job of. Very realistic sharks, and I, actually, it ends up I think it's only one shark that's chasing them the entire time. Um, and another thing that I thought was very scary was the shark did not attack all four of them at the same time. It, I, In my opinion, it very well could have, because I feel like it would have won that battle, but it picks them off one by one, and it's basically stalking them the entire time. And that, to me, was the scariest part of it, to know that you know they're in the shark's world right now, and it knows this environment better than, it, better than anybody. It's the top of the food chain. 
and it's just like hunting them down. And that that to me was the scariest part, and I, it also made it a great shark movie for me. And you know, as far as the characters go, like I said, I love the Australian accent, love the Australian people. Um, I really was rooting for these people. You know, they were they they had their own things going on in their relationships besides the shark that they did a great setup for the story. Um, and then that led led perfectly into the the shark encounters. Um, so I, I really feel like they did a great job of making the audience invest into the characters before they were put into this situation. Um, and you know it combined the aspect of a survival movie, which you know Forty Seven Meters Down also did that. But you know this one I, this one was more believable to me. Obviously, it's based on a true story, but. Uh, the situations that they were in the entire time were, were very believable, and the sharks just really amplified that. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed The Reef. Again, it's on Prime Video. Um, if, you, if you're a fan of shark movies, I highly recommend that you watch that one as well. Watch all three of them if you want. Decide for yourself which ones you like. But if you're, uh, you probably won't like Shark Night, I'll just be honest. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's going to do it for my shark talk today uh, I'm going on vacation next weekend with the fam so I may have an episode for you I may record one and release it next week I'm not sure um, we will see but uh, thank you for listening um, thank you for uh, sticking with me throughout all of this I know it's it's probably not super entertaining uh, hearing a guy ramble about sharks but I hope you were entertained that's my goal I want to entertain all of you so uh thank you for you know listening to this podcast and uh thank you for letting me know those of you who have that you enjoy it um have a great rest of your day i hope you're staying safe out there hope you're remembering to laugh and i will see you later